The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO moment. Dennis Deverin joins us. Dennis D-Day Deverin, I should say. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks, thanks, uh, Greg, for having me on. He is a, uh, I should mention, he is a um, VCSO, PhD candidate, and Six Sigma, and has owned several businesses, including one that may have actually produced this hat, we're not sure, um, and a Desert Storm veteran, was in the Air Force for quite some time, so appreciate you joining. So um, we'd like to start off by going through your cyber journey. I, how did you get to being a virtual CISO? Obviously, um, there's not a direct path um, from being involved with the military and aircraft. I, I know that because that was my path. I was a crew chief for C-130. So tell me how you started and how you ended up as a virtual CISO here. Well, Greg, um, yeah, I was doing the entrepreneurial thing uh, for years after I got out, uh, retired. And uh, my last business selling types of those hats and stuff kind of failed on me. Um, We'll do some external and internal influences. Of course, you know, there's never any uh, one thing that causes you to kind of wrap up shop. But um, in that uh, transition phase, my uh, cousin's husband has a company, Arx Nimbus, that has a uh, cybersecurity software solution uh, for risk management. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, quantitative. It was the first of its kind. And he brought me in as a VP to uh, help with the business development and sales. And I realized in that uh, first couple of months working with him that um, I knew nothing about cybersecurity. I knew about risk. Um, the Air Force teaches us quite a bit about that when we're as pilots and managers and, and commanders, but really not about the cybersecurity. So I went and, uh, through the VA and got my uh, master's in cybersecurity. And as I graduated that, I realized I knew even less than when I started <laughs> about cybersecurity, because this is the world's biggest onion. People, you know, I'm constantly in rooms with people where I feel like I'm the dumbest person in the room, but I, I'm not, and, and that I just have a different experience set that um, uh, than others. You know, some guys are very technical and they can talk and jargon and and just blow your mind away, and other guys are very um, more satirical and can look at the bigger picture um and wrap things together very neatly um i'm neither of both i'm kind of trudging through the middle right now figuring out really where my expertise lies and that's why i decided i'm gonna go get my phd now i'm gonna do some research oh, okay um, so my my research is where i think i'm I've, I've almost got it down to where i think i'm going but i think i'm going to do uh some extensive research on how ai is affecting and is going to affect um, cybersecurity and uh, moving forward. That's a very interesting field. Of course, a lot of folks are are enamored, if you will, with chat GPT and all of that. Uh, one of the folks that actually works uh, with me in our little virtual CISO firm, he has his PhD in artificial intelligence. So maybe I'll have to get you guys connected. I would absolutely love to talk to him because that's, I think that's really where I want to go with this, but, but with the cybersecurity slant on it versus just strict AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and since he's a, he's a virtual CISO as well too. So 
um, and business owner. So he, yeah, you guys probably have a lot to talk about. I'll make that introduction. But you know, you mentioned your uh, um, your your past prior to being a business owner that you were in the Air Force, and so uh, you said you were a pilot, correct? Yes. So and 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 prior to this, I, I realized your hat, and uh, and that's why I put mine on. I usually, don't wear this one for the podcast interviews, but and I just thought it was kind of funny that it could actually be like one of the hats. Maybe I should have bought like two or three hats. I apologize; that might have helped out a little bit further at that point in time. <laughs> okay. But um, but you know, um, uh, I, I'm a I'm a former pilot myself. Well, technically speaking, I still have my uh, license. You know, just. Uh, uh, private pilot instrument rated and uh I, but i haven't i haven't logged an hour in like 13 years so uh, i consider myself formal but former but um certainly flying is all about risk management so you talked about the risk management portion applying it to cyber what what from flying did you could you see that really translated well over into cyber thus far uh, i'd say it's the mindset um you know, in, in flying and in, in aviation units, I was, you know, commander DO, um, we, we put risk, we knew there was risks involved in every operation that we did, but we had to kind of balance out those risks. What, what is the risk for reward? And I see that in cyber so much, how much money do I spend on cyber? And, and more importantly, where do I spend that money? Um, there's so many solutions out there and the bottom line I see with a lot of companies that I've worked with is that they've got all these solutions, but nobody knows how to use them. Nobody does use them because they're they're not user friendly or they're, they don't fit in or you don't think about it. It's not on mm -hmm. your, your mindset every day. And then it's not just the the operators, you know, and in the aviation, you know, your pilots and your crew members, but it's the other people in that chain. It's your secretary. Is she going to click on that phishing link? Is um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, five or six years ago, before he even got into this, he was relating a story to me where his email had gotten uh, compromised and uh, he was the CEO of a decent sized company, you know, um, and he would travel overseas quite often. He got on the airplane to go overseas and these people had followed his email patterns enough that they knew when he got on the airplane, there was going to be a three hour delay before he got back on email again. Mm -hmm. And they sent an email. It looked like it came from him to his uh, secretary. Hey, I need this, this money transferred, you know, three chunks of, they weren't huge amounts. They were like 40, 35 grand, you know, th that looked like normal transactions. And it got delayed enough to when he got airborne, he finally got on. He was able to stop two of them. Oh, okay. They still got $40,000 out of them, you know, and they could have been more, you know, had he not logged into his email and checked. You know, so it's not just um, our systems, it's people. Well, and of course, with flying, as I remember from my early days of learning that um, th it's not one thing usually that causes an airplane to crash. It, that's usually the, the last in the chain of things. And, and I always like to equate that with cyber. It's, it's usually not like the one thing that happens, there's like a chain of cascading failure. So you have somebody that clicks on an, on a phishing link, for example. Well, back to that, maybe there was lack of training. Maybe there was lack of technical controls in there. Maybe there was lack of recovery and all that. But it wasn't just the the one item. So I I, I, I agree from the standpoint where where certainly there's a lot of 
the holistic mindset between aviation and cyber is very much related. Um, but you're now uh, a practicing virtual CISO. Um, how, how has that gone for you? Uh, it's different. Um, my role has been at least my, because I just finished my master's last April and got basically employed in June. Um, and it's been more of a consulting role so far. I'm still working on a bunch of certifications. Um, they're kind of a pain and people want them. They want to see them next to your name, whether they mean anything or not. I, I, I really find that, that that's kind of a humorous thing right now. Um, but it's, it's um, for me, it's more about compliance because in the aviation community, I, I used to tell people, I'll still tell people, you know, the, the flight manual for the last airplane flew, for example, the U-2, which has been in the news recently with the balloon thing. And it's on LinkedIn. You'll see some pictures of the, the guy uh, took a selfie out the window. To I saw that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I told my wife, I said, oh, I'd have a whole cell phone full of selfies if that had been me flying that, that side, you know. And of course he does, you know. Right. Um, or she, because we have a female YouTube pilots now. But um, um, you know, the, the the flight manual is two or three inches thick, four inches thick, maybe, and you've got to know that very well. But the regulations for flying are probably three or four foot thick, mm -hmm. and we have to know them just as well as we know our flight manual. And that's where you know the, I think my expertise comes in with as a virtual CISO is looking at the compliance aspect of. Uh, companies where whether it be CMCC, you know, 27,001, you know, any of those compliance regs, you know, people go, well, are you experienced with this? I'm like, well, no, but I can read the reg and tell you exactly what they're trying to tell you, um, mm -hmm. which is, is not an easy task. You know, people, I don't know how many times in my career on the flight wise, we would have discussions and somebody would go, well, it says this. I'm like, no, no, that's what you think it says. You have to read the entire thing and the scope of it and look at what are they trying to tell you? What they're really telling you is you can do X, Y, and Z and not Q. Don't do Q, you know. Um, and it's just interesting um, because the, the, the from what I've seen on all the government stuff, especially the DOD, the DFARS, uh, the CMCC stuff, it, it is written more in the Air Force mentality of flight regulations, which is you are allowed to do X. This is what we want. Um and it's funny, I flew with the Navy for three years and their regulations and their attitude of flying is, well, if it doesn't say I can't do it, then I'm allowed to do it. Uh -huh. the Air, okay. The Air Force mentality is and what is more prevalent in the U.S. government regulatory guidance is here's what I can do. You know, and if I stay in that lane, I'm going to keep myself safe. I can't be hammered in a DFARS uh, compliance issue if, if I follow their rules. Um, so I kind of see that I, I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating that into like the firewall land where you have like ru a rule set, you have explicit allows for this, 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 and then an explicit deny at the bottom. Whereas where, and that would be the air force model, if I understand correctly mm -hmm. what you're saying. Yes. And then the Navy model might be like, well, okay, you, uh, an, an explicit deny, deny, deny for these little things. And then at the bottom an explicit allow all something like that. It yeah, sounds and, like that. And, and it's interesting if you understand the, the culture of each each service, we operate a lot differently. The Air Force operates from fixed wings. You know, we're we're more uh, we'd have like our own servers. If we were doing it in the IT thing, it'd be we would own our own servers, we'd own our own facilities, everything else like that, where 
the Navy is out there operating around the world. So they're, they're on more of a shared system. You know, obviously hmm. the, the water would be a kind of a, the ocean would be a shared system. They have to, they have to manage that with other users more so than say like the air force would. So I get that mindset. It, it's a different, it's, it's kind of being cloud-based and then being maybe self-contained based security systems. Each one is important. Each one has a set of rules, but they're going to operate differently, obviously. I never thought about that comparison. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm probably going to use that. So I'll, I'll pay you like five bucks for each time. There I you go. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what what types of organizations do you do you currently like work with? Do you work with small businesses, large it's businesses? Small businesses. It's mostly okay. small businesses that are, are trying to get themselves, uh, you know, CMCC 2.0 compliant. And there's just, if you look at what's being read, especially on LinkedIn, if you just go through the machinations that seems like almost on a daily basis. Oh, well, well no, 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 we, we haven't had it approved yet. It's like, well, and the, 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 the pragmatic people are saying, look, yeah, it's not approved yet and it's not really truly implemented, but you better be ahead of the game because it's going to take you a year, year and a half to truly be compliant. Exactly. So if you want to wait till the DOD finally says, yep. And by the way, it starts tomorrow because that's how they'll do it. You know, that's and, how they'll do it. And, and you can't turn on a program like that. It takes, it takes a lot, depending upon where you're starting from, but a lot of small businesses, they're, they're almost starting from uh, as close to scratch as you can. And I'm, you know, you, they and might have a basic policy. Is, part of that also is going to be, um, if you look at the rules, a lot of the stuff is in the past, like, oh, we're working on it. We're fixing it. And uh, they're going to start looking at that and going, not good enough. It's got to be fixed. It's either yes or no. There is no, oh, we're working on it. We'll get there. Um, depending on the nature of it, a lot of it is going to be yes or no, one or, one or zero. It's going to be a binary approach at first. I think they'll back off that a little bit and give some some waivers. But initially, you're going to see a lot of um, a lot of crying from a lot of people because they're going to be like shut off. So what would you think is a, a significant information security threat to the folks you're working working with, the businesses? Is it is it that they perhaps haven't I don't know if I want to word it this way, but I will anyway, um, that they haven't taken information security serious enough and that when it really comes time for this compliance, that they're just not going to be ready. I don't think they've properly identified what is considered, you know, um, protected information. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is they're going to find, and and you're going to see, I've already seen it on, on a few posts recently you know, like, well, do you think this is protected information? Well, well yeah, it's because the government says so. So it's kind of going to come down to if if a, a government entity says, well, yeah, that's protected information. You could be selling coffee to the government, but mm -hmm. uh, if they decide some poor of these these this information is protected, then you have to protect it. So you, you know, even a, even a a, a non technical company is going to find themselves possibly running i don't think it's going to get ugly I, I think that those will get resolved fairly quickly well quickly in the government sense which is six months to a year decades <laughs> yeah right. uh, you know, if, or if you're dealing with the va like i am it could be couple, several years or six years right uh, right you just got to play the long game with them and 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 but unfortunately if this is your business and if you're a prime i don't say prime if you're a primary income is derived from contracts with the government, this could be painful. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and and it's an interesting take on it because I w- I would submit that one of the struggles that not just small businesses but all businesses have revolves around information classification and handling. You 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 have to know what your assets are, where your confidential assets are, and then you have to know how they're flowing and you have to know how how to protect them, how to handle them. That's hard enough in itself. But if you can't even define what, say, needs to be protected, that you're waiting on the government, the government might, as you said, you know, might might say that how you procure coffee or something along those lines, that might be protected information, which has to have a different level of protection around it than, than say, a web page. That, I would imagine, for small businesses in particular, could get to be very confusing at the very least. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, part of this, too, is... is I think a lot of the, the one of the big problems with the small business. I'm working with my church right now um, to do a cybersecurity. They're growing and they're getting bigger and bigger. And um, is the access control part? They don't even know who has access. Mm, right, and, and a lot of times because it, it's just easier just to just to provide ubiquitous access to somebody, and you're not realizing that right. You're, and then you're violating no, these no documentation. There's no documentation right. that they gave them access. So. My suggestion on on these companies and is take your 20 people that you absolutely know have to have access, allow them access, shut everybody else off and make them come to you to get it turned back on again. And that way, now you have a good list of who has access and who doesn't. And you know that you've you've eliminated all those shadow accounts or those accounts that were created quickly to give somebody access for a quick project. And you forgot about them because the IT guy has 20 million other things on his plate. You know, so that thing is still open and somebody else could, oh, hey, I, how are they doing business-wise? Oh, look at that. I can get in there. Hey, they didn't protect this. You know, that, that stuff can happen. And that's really not that difficult to do so long as you have the mindset of like, okay, we're going to shut it off at this particular time. We're going to shut it off. Now watch. And, and you're going to have 95% of your issues that day. And mm-hmm. just watch and, okay. And, and let the folks know beforehand too that, yeah, it could be kind of um, generic that we're doing system maintenance. If you notice anything, please let us know. I don't know if sometimes you might want to say, well, we're going to cut off your access and then you have to come to us. Right, we're, right. You could we're be just doing system maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and then by the end of the day, and certainly um, by the end of like two weeks, if you take into account folks being on vacation, you should have gotten just about all of them. And if somebody hasn't logged into that system in two, three, four weeks, do they really need access? And, and or is it something that you could provision maybe on a one off if it's something that a person needs to go in every quarter, say once? Well, maybe it would be more secure if you just say, well, when you need access, let us know. We'll provision you access for 24 hours and then take it away. I mean, Absolutely. so I think that that's that, that's an, that's a very, very good way to approach that. And that goes well, back into policies and procedures. Right. Right. And And I guess it probably goes without saying don't don't go on the internet and just grab some templates and slap your business name on it you have to actually first of all read them second of all follow them well understand them in the middle of that in order to follow them um a lot of times i I know we've worked uh, with a couple of groups that that when they went through their first audit by well not really an audit but when they were going through uh vendor due diligence and they vendor asks for who we become our client can you give us an example of policies and they did. And the potential client of theirs went online 
did a little bit of copy and search and all that and, and saw that, wait a minute, you know, this is exactly word for word of stuff that you can download. Are you actually doing this? And the company really hadn't even read the stuff. So, but um, yeah, and, and, and I guess the good thing is that now we have chat GPT talking about API that can just write up your policies, but that's a bad thing too, because you still have the responsibility of knowing what's in the policies. So, well, there's a lot of, um, stress involved in cyber and and you touched on part of it which i found interesting too again i, I just always love the flying to cyber analogies but the understanding of the regulations um which is a huge lift understanding the technology which for you probably was the, the harder thing to overcome and then all of this stuff is constantly changing you, you, as you said before you got the government who's who will change things on the fly sometimes and you're, you're kind of left. This can be somewhat stressful. Uh, what's one thing that you do to help decompress from, from the stresses of cyber? Uh, I'm, I'm a trained chef, so I, I like to cook. I like to eat. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, for me, you know, cooking dinner every day or making something is, is, uh, kind of my relaxing cause it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, unless it's baking, you know, you can pretty much, I don't have this, but I can substitute this or I can throw that in, or I wonder how this would taste. And, and most of the time, uh, my wife and uh, kid, they, they enjoy it. Most of the time. Sometimes most of the time. Just, you know, sometimes What's your favorite? A little extra, you know, and they they enjoy it. So I, I still have an audience. <laughs> so what's your, what's your favorite thing to make and what's your favorite thing to eat? I guess. Is it the same thing? Uh, I, I enjoy seafood. Um, uh -huh. I wish I lived closer to the coast. That's my, my three-year plan now is, uh, is to get a beach house so that we can spend a lot more time on the coast. All this, this, this stuff, uh, my wife can retire in 10 years with her pension. And, uh, by then we want to be well-established. And so we can just, you know, do the local, local seafood market somewhere on the North Carolina coast and just, uh, uh, live the dream. So you kind of already answered the last question I was going to ask about what your future plans are. So um, I'm going to do the VC sewing thing for several years and then say 10 years down the road, retire and and get a beach house in North Carolina. Or well, I, uh, I start, I'm going to start a, a doctoral program this this summer. Like we oh, talked that's about right. 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 With and I think I'm going to focus uh, on the AI aspect of um, security and, and where that's going to take us. Um, I'll, I'll need some refinement of my, my, my thesis or of doctoral dissertation here in the next, you know, year or so. But I think that's kind of where I want to go with that. And, and, uh, but yeah, I eventually would like to cheat, teach. Uh, I've always enjoyed teaching as an instructor in the military. Uh, I truly enjoyed it when, when you're teaching flight instruction and that light bulb goes on in the cockpit in front of you. Yeah. It's, it's very rewarding, you know, sometimes very frustrating when the light bulb never comes on <laughs> and you need to have it come on eventually to be a pilot it's otherwise true you do you know um uh, and it, it because when you teach um you have to learn it to a, a, a such, such deeper level you know I, when i first became instructor i was like you know i'm good at this but um how do i tell somebody in how do i how do I translate what goes on in my brain to somebody else that can you know, you know, what you know was a, a light bulb moment for me, sort of, that I remember from, and, and again, I'm not equating my flying training with what, with what you guys did, but there are a lot of similarities, at least on a smaller sure. scale. 
um, the concept of energy management. It's like, I, I didn't get that until it just kind of clicked. And I'm like, oh, there's, and it makes flying a lot. It's a lot more sophisticated, I think, in that you truly understand what the plane can and cannot do. And then you take advantage of it instead of like, you know, always like applying power or not applying power or what have you. So I think that well, was my like me with 7,000 hours of flight time. Um, you know, the whole power, when you're a young pilot, you think power makes you go faster mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and that pitch makes you go higher. And, and it's really, truly doesn't work that way. You know, your pitch controls your speed and your power controls your altitude. And it, right. it's hard to justify once you, once you break that in your mind, you know, it's kind of like cybersecurity and, and people talk about cybersecurity and they talk about all this stuff and they go, you know, and the whole time we're talking and we got this sitting next to us and it's listening. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I have people all the time going, yeah, and this was years ago when I was in e-commerce. I used to tell people, this is the biggest spy device in the world. They're like, oh, oh. I said, look, you go overseas, the telecom companies are owned by these co companies and they can open it up at any time. In the right. Countries. And, and um and I know that as soon as we get off of this, I'm going to I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to see ads for for flying related stuff, uh, yeah. veterans hats, um, <laughs> and, and maybe some some chef stuff. I don't know. And I don't know how many That's people I converted with that because they they go, oh well, you're you're paranoid. I said, look, I said, let's talk about something you would never talk about in front of your phone for ten minutes, and I'll guarantee you within three hours you'll be served an ad. And yeah. usually within a half an hour they call me up, dude. It is so true. And it, and it's like, and, and unfortunately, or, or fortunately, it's like, um, I understand, I'm one of those that understands that. And I've done a risk analysis and I, I tolerate that risk. And there's going to come a day. I always say that my dream, if someone would ask, ask me, it's like, you know, my future plans is that I would like to one day get rid of this, get off the, get off the grid, you know, but um, I can't do that right now, obviously, as a virtual CISO. So I, mean, <laughs> I did get right. off Facebook uh, eight months ago. So uh, I'm, I'm still on Facebook, but I, I purged a lot. That's a whole nother story. It's like, I yeah. mean, so, social media is just yes. evil, but I won't go down that path. Um, I have one final question because it actually tripped me up in the beginning of this because I have a I have like a cadence to go through. And, and I always like read the name and go through like, and then introduce and, and say, thank you for joining. But your, your nickname D-Day, even though we, I saw it before, it stopped me for a moment there. And I have to ask why D-Day? Everybody gets a call sign, nickname, whatever in the military. And mine basically had boiled down to, I was at a long story short, I, I pulled up to a squadron picnic in my Harley in Germany and the parking lot was about 30 feet lower than the pavilion area where, you know, the picnic was going on. As I pulled up the, the bottom, there were a couple of pilots standing at the top of the, the stairwell there, stair area. And uh, as I pulled up there, they started giving me this revving sound, you know, kind of giving me the hand signal, like rev it up. So I'm, I'm down there just revving it up like, yeah, they're, they're giving me thumbs up. Well, unfortunately, the commander, group commander was up there giving his speech. <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't see that of course not and they're cracking up down there oh they're having a blast because they're they're doing it you know so well you know I ended up with, you know out of uh you know d-day because oh well you you know probably what my image was when i saw d-day right yeah animal house you should, have, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of, you know, I'm a little less, uh, I got a slightly better grade point average than, uh, <laughs> well, Daniel I Day. thought when, when you said that you had the bike up on top, I was like, I was expecting you to like go down the stairs like Daniel Simpson. No, Day. I thought about and, it though. I didn't and... think about driving up the stairs. <laughs> no, I'm not going to trash my bike. <laughs> Well, listen, Dennis, it was an absolute pleasure uh, talking. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day to uh, chat a little bit about everything VC so and military and flying and all that sort of stuff. It was a great conversation. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Greg. I enjoyed it. I uh, hope somebody got a little nugget out of anything I, I passed <laughs> along. And... Well, I, I certainly did. I, I have to rethink about energy management again. Um, it's been a long time since I thought about that. So, Absolutely. but anyway. Appreciate it. And everybody stay secure. Good night.